You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. So, so I know for those of you who are guests or someone who brought a guest today, this conversation, I imagine, is going to be happening in the next few minutes, and, and I'm going to go ahead and have it for you. I don't know who that guy is. Mark? No, that's not Mark. Come back next. I don't know the worship guy either. This is a whole new scene. I don't know any of these people. So this is like this your church? I don't know. I don't know these people. That's what's going on right now. It's okay. They're going to come back. It's, this, is, this, is not, uh, this is not permanent. Um, my name is Michael, and I am and I'm a guest here, and Joel's a guest, and we're both actually members at the South Campus, um, and we, uh, we, we've been there, and we love Bethel, and, uh, and we really are glad to get to be here. I have a, a wife and four kids, and, and they're, they're here as well, and, and really thank you for, I say thank you for having me, you didn't, you didn't really have a say, but thank you for not leaving at this point in time, I guess. That would be the real thank you uh, for, for right now. And if you do leave, I won't, I won't judge you, but not out loud. Um, so really, you know, this is the point where I do, I tell you who I am and, and why you should listen to me uh, as an introduction. And in that, I, you could say a lot of things. In fact, it's kind of what we do uh, in our culture when we meet somebody new. We, we say, hey, you know, my name is Mike, and I'll grab so-and-so, so, so what do you do? And how you answer what you do often defines a lot of who you are. Um, at least we allow it to define who we are. And, uh, and if I were to introduce myself and say, you know, hey, my name is Mike, and I'm a, a pastor, or if I said my name is Mike, and I'm a, a business guy, um, or I start things, or I say different things, you might in your own mind frame, this is who you are. And as a Christian, sometimes you know, I am more than what I do. There's my identity is, is more than that. Um, but sometimes maybe if you're like me, you, you still don't know what to do with that. Because if you, know, if you lead, hey, my name's Mike, oh, great, tell me about yourself. Uh, well, you know, I'm, a, I'm an adopted son of God. Um, all of a sudden, then it becomes an awkward situation because then, although that's true, the other person, if they're a believer, how do they respond to Ditto. You know, me too. I, you know, and, it, and that's what, so. It, how do you do that engagement? How do you um, say, "Hey, this is who I am. This is all uh, of me," and at the same time have a have a conversation? That's actually a, a lot of what we're going to talk about today. It's the two pieces. One, who are we? And then the second piece of that is what what do we do? What should we do with our life? Now, I did a little bit of research and found that the average attention span is, uh, for an American is now 4 minutes and 52 seconds. The church has not caught on to that yet, have they? And that's if, that's if that I have your attention for the first 8 seconds. I don't know if we did that or not either. Um, so here's the deal, is hang with me, because this stuff is going to take a little bit longer than 4 minutes and 52 seconds. It won't take that much longer, but it's... It's true, and it's good. So 
Here's what I want to do. To answer these questions, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. But before we jump into Ephesians chapter 2, we need to set the stage a little bit with Ephesians chapter 1. I'm in a a life group at Bethel, uh, and and my life group leader is Jeff Bice, the the missions pastor. And Jeff, um, Jeff loves to go through Scripture, not verse by verse, but, but like syllable by syllable. That, so, so we've actually been in Ephesians chapter 1 now for, uh, for eight weeks, and we're on verse 4. So um, if he was here today, he would be squirming in his seat because, because we're going to try to go through Ephesians chapter 1 pretty quickly so that we can camp out in chapter 2. So I'm going to make the message version of the Bible seem short and, and we're going we're gonna to run through this pretty quick, but I want to highlight a couple of key points. So first, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to one and 2, um, it's from Paul, okay? Okay, now we're going to go to verse 3. Verse 3 through 9. See, we're going fast. A couple of things, and if you've got your Bible, here's what I'd encourage you to do, is look at chapter 3 through 9, or they'll put it behind the screen, and uh, see, that, that's old school. We've already, we've already covered that. Um, but now, as you, so kind of read through it, but I want to highlight some things. So... Uh, in verse 3 through 9, a couple of things to point out. Uh, one, that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You catch how, how long ago God chose us. Not during Jesus' time, not during uh, Moses' time or Noah's time. No, it, it was before the world even existed, God chose us. A long time ago. This was obviously he chose us not not because of something we did, because we hadn't yet existed, but because he just decided to choose us. So so as we think about who God is and why he chose you, let's know that it happened a long time ago before you had a chance to do anything to earn that. And then as we keep looking, what God chose us for, he predestined us to be adopted. God didn't just choose you as a Christian or choose me as a Christian uh, to be on his team or to be in God's army. God chose us to be a son or a daughter of him. And as he chose us to be a son or daughter, he, he also has redeemed us, as Ephesians says there. That he chose us to be a son, he chose us to be his daughter, he knows that we're going to be messed up. Um, and he chose to do something about that. Now, this happened again, remember, before the foundation, before the formation of the earth, God made this decision. And then as we look in, in verse 10, he did this as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So uh, God, although he does know the amount of hairs on your head, can be a very big picture God as well. That God, who did this before time, did this to unite all things in him, in heaven and earth. He did this to unite all things in the seen world and the unseen world as a plan for the fullness of all of time. So when we start talking about God choosing us as adopted sons and daughters, this was not uh, an afterthought. This was not based on anything you did. This is something that happened... uh, uh, before the formation of the earth. And then as we look in verses 11 and 14, we have obtained an inheritance. That's saying we are heirs of the kingdom. So not only are we part of God's family, we're not a distant second cousin removed 
No, we are heirs. We are to receive God's blessing as an heir would, as when your parents have passed away, or if they have passed away or will pass away, that there will be an heir passed down to you. It is in the same way of that with God. That's the relationship. Um, and that we have, we have obtained an inheritance and have the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a promise for this. And then uh, I'm going to make Jeff squirm in his feet, uh, squirm in his seat here. Uh, verses 15 through 22 is kind of Paul is fired up about all of this and says, "Yes, this is all true." So that's the summary there. Okay, now I want to move into chapter two because th- this is where I want to camp out. We, we wanted to set the the base and the premise and the foundation to say, "Okay, chapter one is saying, hey, you were chosen, you're adopted, chosen. Sorry, grammar people, uh, chosen, adopted." That uh, And you have God's inheritance, not because of anything you've done. And in the midst of that as the backdrop, Paul starts in chapter 2, and he's going to start with what's called a dangling participle. Now, if I haven't gone four minutes and 52 seconds yet, I know by saying dangling participle, I lost you, because it's grammar. And um, I'll be honest, I, I don't like grammar. I really like people who like grammar. Um, that's not true. But, but a dangling participle is how this is written um, in the Greek. And let, let me explain a little bit of what that is. It's, it's a grammar tool where it's, it's you want more to come. You, you want something else. And so as Paul writes this, well, it's, it, it'd be like this. If I were to say, na, 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 na. See, there's some OCD people who couldn't handle that, right? It's like, I need more. I, I, I got to finish that. That's what a dangling participle is in, in language. It's, it's like, I, I've got to complete this. So Paul starts uh, chapter 2 with a dangling participle, and, um, and then also as a run-on sentence. So it's like, there's more to come, and, and I've got to tell you all of this. And, and as he tells all of this, it, it escalates. It, 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 he's, he's saying, hey, th- this is a situation. No, no, it's like, it's like this. It, it, it's like this. And he, he can't get it out far enough, but there's still more to come. So let, let's just go through it here. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedient, among who all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, Paul is, is creating this picture of the, you're a sinner. But if, it's not just you're a sinner, hey, you're a bad guy, um, you've made some mistakes. He starts with dead and your sin, dead and your trespasses, in which you once walked. And then, really, you followed Satan himself, the prince of the power of the air. Look, you are, you are sons of wrath. This is a big deal. This is where you were. You were so lost, you were dead. And as he's saying this fast, so to speak, with its dangling participle, it gets then answered. Nah, nah, comes into play. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace have you been saved through faith. And if this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. That last piece is a, maybe a, an Awana's Bible verse that you've read. And it, it, it's a great summary, right, of chapter one of God chose us and the first part of chapter two of, and we were dead. And then it keeps moving, but God saved us, not because of anything you've done. Remember that God made this decision before you had a chance to do anything. You can't boast about this, but God chose you. And a lot of times, that's where we stop. Um, and it's an okay place to stop and meditate. It's good to know, hey, who am I? I am a child of God, and that's important. But to what purpose? So what? Well, this is where Ephesians continues, that, that there's another, here's verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in him. Are you catching this? We are sons and daughters of God. Why? So we can bask in it and go, ah, this is great. No, that, that before the beginning of time, God also created work for you to do. He, he knew, I, I'm, I'm going to choose you, and, I, and I'm going to plan things for you to do before the world was created. I, I mean, you talk about, does your work matter? Yes, it does. But if you're like me, and you're being honest. Sometimes I wonder, did God really choose this work for me? I mean, before the foundation of the earth, did he choose me to be the one to always make sure that the lint and the dryer is all cleaned out? Was that what God had for me before the foundation of the world? Did God, for the, before the foundation of time, did, did God really want me to have to go to that PTA meeting? Did he really want me to work at this job with that boss and work in this cube and do this kind of programming? I mean, I think of before the foundation, well, God created these good works. That might be for people who are pastors and have big influences or CEOs or something, but me? What I do seems pretty ordinary. And really... It begs the question of one of two things are happening. Maybe there's a third that you've thought of, and if so, let me know. But either God, I'm doing the work God has created for me to do, and I, I don't get it. I, I don't realize that this is a big deal. Or I'm not doing the work that God created for me to do. And if that's the case, I want to do something about that as well. So how do we discern what is this work that God created us to do. Uh, well, and you know, it, again, if we're honest, we long to do the work God created us to do. I mean, how great would it be to get up in the morning and to, to go to work or to do work that you knew that the God of the universe had prepared beforehand for you to do? I mean, there's almost a sense of when we see it, we, our souls just delight and go, yes, that's what I want. That's what I want to do with my life. I, I want to give my life away to something that's big and meaningful and that God has ordained me to do. And, and when we do, when we see it in other people, 
we go, yes. So about four weeks ago, this is maybe a bit of a confession. I, I saw it. I, I saw somebody who, who got it. And they tell a story about not knowing who they are, not knowing their name. And, and then they got it. Okay, it was, it was on America's Got Talent. An amazing picture a 12-year-old girl can sing that she's in a place of going, I don't know my name. I'm just trying, just trying to find my way. And then as in the transition of the song, of she knows who she is now. There's some secularness in that. And knows what it is that she's designed to do so much that how it has to hit the golden buzzer, whatever that means. I know it means you go to the next round. And I don't know for you, but I, I see that clip and I'm going, yes, this, this is it. This is what, what we want. This is what our souls long for is to be able to know who we are and to be able to do work with meaning and with purpose. So what is it specifically? Let's start real quick by talking about what it's not. What This work that God created us before the foundation of the world, what, what is it not? It's not that every single person is, I'm going to say, called to ministry. Everyone is called to ministry, but let's define that. Every single person is not uh, called to get paid to work at a church or a nonprofit organization. And in fact, Luther in the Reformation, that was one of his three tenets, is, you know, is there was one that Scripture is the, the sole authority, um, and that second, we are justified by faith and faith alone, and the third is the priesthood of the believers. First uh, Peter 2, uh, chapter 2, verse, verse 5, it says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ that we no longer need a priest uh, to, to go through the Father because Jesus now is our high priest and takes that role. In the same way, the, the professional minister is not for everyone. We are all to be a part of ministry. And even though that was part of the Reformation, there's a lot of Protestant churches that still miss that. Um, I've been in churches where they have an altar call, which is another whole thing that we won't talk about. And, but you can come down and, and for whatever reason. And then, and then sometimes they'll have a second altar call for those that are called to ministry. And, and I always go, you mean called to get paid to work at your church? What is, and why don't we do that for other professions? I, I would love to go to a church where the, they would say, hey, we're going to take some time now and all of those who feel led by the Spirit to be an orthodontist, to come on down you know that you should be working and putting your hands in the mouths of teenagers. Take a time. Come here. We're, we're going to lay our hands on you and send you out. It's just as biblical as a picture to, to be called to be an orthodontist or a plumber or an electrician or a mom or anything else that God has created for you to do. And we want to embrace that and celebrate that in the same way that someone might be called to get paid to work at a church. And please don't get me wrong, that, that is a legitimate calling as well. And, and, and I know that if you are to speak at a church, there are some uh, higher level of accountability. And just like uh, right now, Bethel's praying through, uh, and you are looking at Timothy and saying, hey, are, are these qualifications acceptable for the people who are going to be deacons and elders? Um, 
But there is a holy calling to the professions uh, that we have here. The second thing that I want to be careful of that saying these works uh, that God created for us might not be is just to fulfill volunteer positions that happen to be around us. Now, the people here at Bethel who are in charge of helping fill the child care upstairs right now, I know are squirming going, don't say this. No, 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 we need people. And I, and I get that. It's a little bit um, like, like a surgeon. And I'm not a surgeon, and if there's surgeons here, you can tell me if this is what it's like, but it, but it is in my mind, so we'll go with it. Uh, when I think of a surgeon, they scrub up, and then they walk around like this for some reason. I don't know if that keeps germs off you hit the door open and they go in and then there's the, the patient laying there and the patient's already prepped. They, they have all the drapings on there. They've got the iodine or whatever antibacterial stuff is on the patient. And, and they don't even have to pick up their instruments. They just say, scalpel, and then someone goes, scalpel, and they grab it. And then the surgeon does exactly what it is that the surgeon is trained to do. And that's all they do. They do that thing. And when the surgeon's done, other people come and they, they clean up the body and they get the, the, the person um, and, and they, they get them in the room and the surgeon goes and does his next surgery. But that same surgeon, when he goes home, well, he helps out with dinner and then he, he does the dishes and he maybe feeds the dog and tucks the kids in and picks up after him some. Because when he's at home, that's his family. And so it's a little bit of all hands on deck. Well, with church, it's kind of weird. Because on one hand, as a church, we want to equip the saints to do the things that you're uniquely created to do. But at the same time, we're part of a family. And there might not be anybody here who is called to vacuum upstairs. We've got a vacuum upstairs. This is part of our family. And so it's this both and that we try. In fact, this morning, um, I saw that here at this church. So I'm going to talk about you even though I didn't ask for it. Um, so this morning, I was talking to Karen, and uh, we were talking through, hey, what do, you, how, what do you do and volunteer here? And she said, oh, you know, I used to work at some of the kids and stuff like that, but now, and then her eyes kind of lit up, now I volunteer as a greeter. And of course, I'm thinking, oh, what a beatdown. But no, not Karen. She's going, this is, I love it. I mean, there's people who come to church and they leave and nobody talks to them. This cannot happen. Like you see the passion about her in this thing. And, and we've got to do something about this. And so I know every single person's face. If I don't know their name, at least I know if they've been here before. So if somebody new is coming to the parking lot, boom, she's on them. And I actually saw other people go, hey, Karen, this person over here. Oh, yeah, 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 she goes. And she's, she's, this is what she's designed to do. This is who she is. And you see, this is great. And at the same time, I saw a guy, I was sitting in the back worshiping, and I don't, I don't know who you are, um, but he was able to play the mandolin while he was doing the EQ sound board back here. And so he's playing, I'm going, there's another instrument there, he's playing and adjusting sound at the same time. Now, he is probably gifted in both of those areas, but there's a need to say, hey, we need someone to do these two things, I'm in, count me in. And I know there's lots of people here who serve in places where you are gifted, and there's people who serve here because, hey, this is my family and I'm in. And both of those things are important. But let's not just confuse because there is a volunteer opportunity open that this is where everyone's called to. But it means we might need to jump in. So to be specific as to how do we discover what these things are, there's a, a couple of, let's say five, 
things that we need to look at or things to do. Number one, be brave. 2 Timothy, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Why can you be brave? Because God's your dad. He adopted you as a son or daughter. You can be brave. There's an author that I, I read, a guy named Seth Godin, and he has this picture um, of Humpty Dumpty. And he's on the wall balancing. And there's a, there's a slogan right before it. It says, this might not work. I love that. He, he's looking at this picture of going, we're going to try something that's scary. And if it doesn't work, the king's horses and men can't fix it. This is a big deal. In fact, God, he might be asking you to do something that might not seem to work. Because God does give you more than you can handle. He wants you to rely on him. Be brave. Maybe you're at a place where you're complacent. Things aren't broken. I, I, my kids are doing their thing. I'm doing my thing. I've got my job. I don't know if this is what God has for me or not, but just don't jack with my life. But you're a little bit like the tin man in there, where, where you get it with your head but not your heart. I mean, maybe you, you get pain and things, but you don't feel it. Maybe you understand love, but you don't feel that either. If you're at a place where you're just complacent, God has so much more for you than that. I would be a rostrator if I have an opportunity to quote C.S. Lewis and don't, would, would lash out at me. I love this, and many of you have heard this, in the story of Narnia, when Susan is talking to a beaver, Mr. Beaver is his name, talking about Aslan, who is the lion who represents Christ. And I'll read it. Uh, Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. God is not calling us to be safe for the whole family. He's calling us to take risk follow him. And that's where life is lived. Number two, know who you are in Christ. This is all of Ephesians chapter one. Do you know that you are a son and daughter of God? And I know you maybe know it in your head, but do you feel it? Do you believe it? Here's how you might know. Do you worry? When do you worry? What do you worry about? If that becomes something that you do, maybe it might be time to say, you know what, I need to take some time and meditate on who I am and knowing that I have an inheritance that's coming my way and that I'm loved not because of what I do or what I haven't done, but because God chose me. Three, embrace 
how God made you unique. Then we look at Psalm 139, which is all about this. I'm just going to read some of this because it's, it's good. Oh Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you knew it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, even the night is bright as the day, for darkness is light is with you. For you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God, God knows you, and you are unique. And God has designed something for you. So four, explore who you are. Uh, there are some things that feel like you. I mean, you might hear people say, that sounds like so-and-so. Um, a lot of women do this in what they dress. Oh, that looks like something so-and-so would wear. Nobody ever says that about me. Maybe like a t-shirt or something. But there's, there's stuff that you do that sounds like you. And if you don't know what those things are, ask your friends around you, hey, what sounds like me? They know. Sometimes you're so close to it, you might not see it. If you don't know what sounds like you, ask yourself, and ask those around, well, pray first. Lord, show me, how have you uniquely designed me? How have you formed me together in my mother's womb? What have you created me to do and to be? And then ask those others around you, hey, what do you see me doing? And start bouncing ideas off of people. Ask yourself, hey, where are my, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? When you're doing stuff, what gives you joy? What are the things that you could do that you could go, I could do this for the rest of my life? And are there places that you do things, that you serve, where you go, this is a beatdown? And if that's the case, stop doing those things. You're not helping anybody. And a quick thing to be careful here is, we're not, we want to be careful not to make following your passion. That can become an idol as well. We're doing this, if you remember, the workmanship of God for the sake of God and for His glory, not, not for our own sake. And another question to ask, sometimes you hear people say, gosh, I, I kind of have this opportunity or I think I want to do this, but I want to make sure that it's, that it's God. I want to make sure that it's, it's not me. Okay, stop that thinking. God is not this sadistic God that wants to make you miserable. He wants to give you the desires of your heart. He wants, he wants you to smile. In fact, in following Jesus and walking in the Spirit, uh, Jesus says that his yoke is easy, that his burden is light. It should not be a beatdown. God will ask us to do hard things, but when we look at following him, there should be a lightness to it all. That somebody said once, and I, and I don't remember who, and maybe you guys know this. Google it. That God 
moves in the world through the stirring of the saints. I think that it's good to say how how might God be stirring you? How might he be making you uncomfortable? Okay, and fifth, go. Do something. You're trying to figure out what it is that work that God might have for you to do. Stop trying stuff out. Start moving forward. Um, Bob Buford in his book, uh, Halftime, writes about a low-cost probe. How do you implement maybe a crawl, walk, run strategy to figure out what God might have for you? You know, if you're thinking, I love to work with uh, orphans and kids who maybe don't have moms and dads, and I'm a pretty good nurturer and, and, and can take care of people, you don't need to go out tomorrow and quit your job and start an orphanage. But you might think, you know what? I, I can find someone who's maybe fostering some kids and say, can I, can I watch your kid once a week and give you a break? If you're passionate about, about writing and, and, uh, and you love to dig into God's word and you go, if I, I could just write books about this. You don't have to fly out to Lifeway and try to get a deal. Maybe you just start a blog and tell other people what, what the website is. Be brave. All of us could have different conversations of what those things might be. But the first step in doing something uh, might be just to do something and to begin that process. I just want to stop with one story. And a lot of you might have seen this in the movie. Uh, Eric Liddell, who who was a, a Scottish athlete, uh, who was also a, a believer. And uh, in the movie Chariots of Fire is the movie, and it's Netflix and it's great. But, but in, in 1924, in the Paris Olympics, uh, he was the, uh, the favorite to win the 100 meters. But the race fell on a Sunday, and he said, look, through my conviction of the Sabbath, I, I'm not going to run. He ended up running the 400, which is the day before, and did well in that. Uh, but something he said when talking about, hey, you're a runner, but you're a believer, and how do these things mesh together? Eric Liddell says, I believe God made me for a purpose. He made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Let me pray. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room that we would find the work that you have created us to do and that we would feel your pleasure in that. I pray as we think through how you have created us, how you have made us, that you would also show us the places and opportunities of how and where we should give our life away. We know that that's where we will find life, that's where we'll find joy. And we thank you for being a God that not only chose us before the beginning of time, but not only saved us from our sin, the God who gave us purpose for work and for meaning, but you're a God that loves us that much. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. 
Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.